Hello, Monetization Nation. Today I'm super excited because it's game two of the Western Conference Finals of the NBA. And that's starting shortly here, trying to get in an episode before that starts. And uh, in the last uh, game, the Phoenix Suns were losing by one point with 0.7 seconds left in the game. And Jay Crowder, one of our players, one of our forwards, uh, threw the ball in from out of bounds, threw it up towards the basket. And DeAndre Ayton, our center, caught it and slam dunked it and won the game. And they're now calling that the Valley Oop, like an alley oop. Uh, so wearing my sun shirt. Sorry for any of you Clippers fans that are listening, but I am super excited. I am passionate about my Phoenix Suns. It has been a long time. It's been more than a decade uh, since I've been able to uh, get excited about the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs. And, uh, and I'm really enjoying this. So in today's episode of our show, I interview an inspiring entrepreneur named Rebecca Clyde. Rebecca and I will be discussing how women influence technological advancements. She also shares great advice for any entrepreneur, such as finding opportunities in crisis, artificial intelligence, trusting our instincts, and building a great team. Rebecca Clyde is the co-founder and CEO of Botco.ai, a company that is modernizing healthcare with intelligent chat for patient engagement. Rebecca is on the 2020 list of the most influential women in Arizona. She was listed as a most admired leader by Phoenix Business Journal and was a recipient of the Athena Businesswoman of the Year Award. She's also been recognized as one of the 35 entrepreneurs 35 and younger by the Arizona Republic. Tectonic shifts are constantly transforming the earth and business, causing destruction and huge growth opportunities. I'm Nathan Gwilliam, the host of Monetization Nation, where we learn how to leverage business tectonic shifts to transform monetization. Thank you so much for joining us today, Rebecca. Thanks, Nathan. Happy to be here with you. Off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about. You know, I, I, I'm really passionate about women. So uh, advancing women, whether it's in uh, Latin America, which is where I'm from, um, I'm very involved in a nonprofit that's really helping to drive um, improvements in uh, women's ability to start businesses and to improve their economic standing. Um, here in Arizona, one of the things I spend a lot of my free time doing is uh, mentoring women, getting girls, younger girls excited about going into careers in technology, um, or just getting them excited about going to college, you know, something as simple as that. And so uh, I do spend a lot of my time uh, doing those kinds of things. That's probably where, where a lot of my free time goes. And then if I'm not doing one of those things, I'm either with my kids or I'm gardening. Uh, I have a, a four vegetable boxes. And so I grow a lot of vegetables too. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful. You and I share a lot in common. My house is filled with women. I have a wife and three daughters. And so I'm passionate about women as well. Tell me the story that of your journey to become this super successful entrepreneur. Well, I don't know if I'm a super successful entrepreneur yet, but you know, hopefully I've had a few successes up until now. Um, I don't know. It's really hard to say. I, I didn't grow up in the U.S. I went to college. Um, I came to the United States to go to university to attend college. And when I was uh, graduating, I actually uh, was recruited by Intel. And I, I, I attribute Intel to a lot of my um, kind of early career growth because it was such a, a 
amazing place to learn how to do business. Um, it's an incredible Fortune 500 company, blue chip company, as you know. And I was there kind of during the Andy Grove, I call it like the Andy Grove era still, where there was a lot of that type of culture, which we all know is a very difficult culture. There's nothing easy about working in that company. Um, but I, I learned a lot of really important business fundamentals. Um, you know, Intel has a tremendous management and leadership development program that they put me through. Um, I had, you know, my first direct reports ever were at Intel. And, you know, the eight years that I spent there, I feel like I really kind of developed an important foundation to the rest of my career, uh, both doing business uh, internationally, understanding the business of technology, and then also understanding how to manage people and how to lead an organization. Um, so those were very important skills I developed while I was there. After leaving Intel, I, I started applying some of the specialized knowledge that I had, I had developed there um, as an entrepreneur in my first company, which was a uh, marketing agency. And so I took essentially all the great things I learned and started selling them as a service, as a consultant uh, to other companies, including Intel, of course. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that allowed me to expand, kind of multiply myself in many ways. And, you know, I ended up growing a team of about 60 people along with my business partners at Ideas Collide and uh, developed an a very thriving uh, marketing agency there. So that was kind of phase two of my career. And right now I'm actually in what I would consider to be stage three, which was, okay, now I'm ready to start my next company, but this is gonna be a product, it's a software product. And what I was really focused on was solving a problem that I noticed at my last two <laughs> jobs. And that was that, you know, these marketing automation platforms uh, were no longer suited to today's modern customer and, and modern expectations of consumers. And so I wanted to bring it up to date and really create that new marketing automation experience that truly represents how consumers want to engage and interact with businesses. Okay. And, and what's the best thing, the greatest benefit of Botco? You know, it really comes down to this kind of on-demand delivery of content, of information, and of getting a job done. Um, so when you think about, you know, why does somebody come to your website? You know, they're not just coming there to pass the time. They're actually coming there with a goal, usually. They're wanting information. They're maybe wanting to schedule something. You know, right now I sell to a lot of healthcare industry customers. And so most of the patients or most of the families that visit a website are trying to either book an appointment or find out insurance information. They're, they're trying to get a job done. And we have kind of forgotten that. And so what uh, my product does is really makes it easier for people to accomplish that task, get the information they need, and then complete that next step in the journey that they uh, initiated in, in coming there to begin with. Uh, so I, I really tell people I'm in the, in the business of saving time for families and then for the businesses, it's about improving their revenue cycles because the faster they get people to the goal, the sooner they can generate a reimbursable event. And I saw a press release that you guys just raised millions of dollars of, of seed capital. Yes, that's right. We just closed a seed round, uh, 2.2 million. That's correct. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is the greatest home run that you have hit in your career so far, either for yourself or one of your consulting clients? That's a hard question to answer because I don't ever know that I've actually hit a home run. It's hard to know in the moment if it was a home run. It's not like there's usually like a scoreboard in business that tells you that. Um, but what I would say, I think 2020, just getting through that year um, was a home run. Like just the fact that we were able to take our business 
You know, as I was entering the year, um, one of our first customers was this company called Massage Envy. They're um, a very a great wellness brand. And we were doing some great things for Massage Envy and getting ready to sell to a lot of, my entire pipeline was made up of companies a lot like them. So wellness, like uh, fitness, personal wellness, personal health type of uh, customers. And then of course, you know, March 15th, everything shut down and all of those businesses that I was trying to sell to essentially just went dark for months. And I was kind of in that panic moment of having to stare into this abyss of seeing, you know, your pipeline just dwindle to nothing and try to figure out, okay, what is this business going to be that we have worked so hard to, to create this amazing product? We have gotten to this point, like what is going to happen? And, um, you know, going back to the garden analogy, it's like the things that you planted a long time ago suddenly started to sprout. So a couple of old, you know, previous relationships that I had initiated in healthcare, you know, circled around, found me for some reason, all of a sudden, and they had a need and they called. And pretty soon we had a really great uh, business set of business opportunities uh, that emerged from that. Um, and so, you know, being able to pivot our business quickly to satisfy those needs was required, of course, significant effort, but we got through it. And we were able to find, start finding that repeatable sales um, process that is so needed in an early stage of a startup. And so I would say that was a big win, um, was being able to kind of go from zero back to having a, a relevant pipeline. And, you know, last year we ended up growing the business um, 1,700%. So 1,700%. And that was considering that in March, my pipeline went to zero. So I feel like that was a win. That's a huge win. Congratulations. What's the biggest failure or mistake that you've made? And, and what did you learn from it? I have made so many mistakes. I don't know if I could, <laughs> if I could uh, narrow them down to one, but this is a recent one. So I'll talk about it and, um, you know, for me, the biggest mistake that I probably have made recently has been not listening to my intuition sufficiently and allowing too many outside voices to prevail. And so uh, I'm constantly reminded by one of my investors, Ash Rust, uh, Sterling Road, he tells me, you know, he's never met somebody with better instincts and I need to listen to my instincts no more. So I'm really working on that um, because anytime that I don't and I kind of let my instincts not be the driving force, things don't go great. Um, so, you know, it's not that they go badly. It's just, they don't go as well as they could have. I realized what is your best monetization secret or strategy? My best monetization strategy is to build a great team and to multiply myself with a great team. So one of the things I've discovered is that I can only do so much, right? There's, I have a huge amount of capacity and a huge amount of um, I would say tenacity and work ethic, but even all the work ethic and time in the world that I can put into something will never be sufficient to achieve. My dreams are much bigger than my time allows. And so um, for me, it's always been about finding great members of the team that can come on and help expand upon what I have started. Um, and what I have often found is that it's, it's through those people that great things happen. And so I feel like my primary goal uh, to build a great business, to monetize this product that we have built is to build a team around uh, the founders, right? That can go off and 
really help it grow beyond what we could ever do if it was just like me or my co-founders. Yeah, that is a that is a great monetization strategy. Um, what do you feel is the biggest tectonic shift that is transforming the business landscape today? Oh, wow. This whole uh, digital engagement remote thing that is happening right now. I mean, without a doubt, I think, you know, I sell to the healthcare industry. The healthcare industry has been like really hit hard with this. Finally, they couldn't avoid, you know, putting off these digital engagement solutions. Um, so yeah, I mean, the genie's out of the bottle. It's not going back. People are not going to go back to waiting in law, waiting rooms for three hours to see their doctors. That's just never going to happen again. Um, we're going to definitely um, embrace all of these digital technologies. And let me tell you, there's something actually underlying to that that I'm going to get a little bit kind of away from, but it circles back. Um, when I worked at Intel in the early 2000s, um, there was this whole conversation about mobile computing, right? And of course, Intel was huge in desktop and PCs and like it was all about, compute was all in this machine, right? The desktop. And a lot of us that were women, um, and Francine Hardaway, she always talks about this. Uh, she's like a, a tech guru from, from a long time ago. She always tells a story that she was sitting around the table and trying to explain to Intel executives that they needed to pay more attention to mobile because for one reason only, because women don't like to carry big bags and women would love to have more compute power in their purse that they can fit in their purse. Just for that simple reason, that's a totally lifestyle design reason. But she was like, trust me, women make up half of the world's economy or more. Women will drive the adoption of mobile in a way that you do not realize. And people of course didn't pay attention. And then of course what happened, right? Mobile has become everything. And Intel missed the boat on that, even though there were voices inside saying, you need to pay more attention to mobile computing. Um, so a company like Intel that is so well-funded and so well-regarded and with all the brain power in the world missed a really important shift. And that was the transition to mobile because they didn't listen to women, <laughs> right? That's what I always say. And we're seeing the same issue again right now um, who, you know, I, I, again, who is doing all the unpaid work in our society? It's women right, that are picking up the slack left and right. And women are starting to show up and say, no, 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 no longer. Um, I don't want to wait on the phone 45 minutes to make a doctor's appointment. That's not worth my time. My time has value. My time has worth. You need to improve your systems so that I don't have to waste my time doing those things. And I think it's time again that technologists need to listen to what women have to say understand that their time is valuable and starting to create solutions that actually deliver on the promise of a truly frictionless engagement experience. And when we do that, we will realize that we will jump ahead leaps and bounds or we can fail to listen at our own peril. I love this direction that we're going with this interview. There's a story from your career of something that you persevered through, something, you know, and then saw success and something that could give them hope. I'll, I'll mention the last economic uh, issue that we, that we faced. So 2008, you'll remember 2008, yes. when the bottom fell out of the economy um, and because of the housing crisis. Um, I was, it's interesting, both of my businesses I started right during a major crisis. <laughs> so <laughs> there's something happening in my cycles. Uh, that's good, actually. 
because when I was starting my last business, Ideas Collide, we were just entering 2008 and you know the, the bottom fell out. All of our clients' budgets basically got slashed out to almost nothing. And um, again, I was, you know, that was probably the first time I was ever faced with that really harsh reality of, oh, wow, I just left my very comfortable Intel job where I had a solid salary to come start this business. And now look what's happened. And so, you know, I had kind of that moment of panic of like, is this, was this just the worst decision of my life that I just made? And the, the wonderful thing is that what I discovered was that being small and nimble and being unattached essentially to like legacy systems or to any kind of big overhead kind of allowed me to navigate the white spaces and find those. Um, I, had the, I had like unique opportunities to find solutions that maybe I would have never been able to see had it not been in a crisis. And so that moment kind of taught me um, never to waste a great crisis, uh, very much like this time around, right? Uh, going into uh, 2020, again, you know, I, I, without the crisis, I wouldn't have been able to focus on the healthcare industry and I wouldn't have been able to get that momentum that we really needed. And so I would say, um, rather than looking at these crises as like horrible or, you know, of course they're going to be gut-wrenchingly challenging, but that's where all the great stuff comes out on the other side. I love that's that. That's what I would so say. In every crisis, look for the opportunity. And mm-hmm. I remember sitting there on, <laughs> I remember being there in Arizona when the dot-com bubble burst. So it was 1999. Mm-hmm. So another crisis that I went through and I was, I was on Broadway and price. Yeah. It, it had an office building right there, not too far away from where you're at. And, um, when the dot-com bubble burst, um, most of the funding for most of the dot-com companies dried up. Everyone got, all the investors got scared and most dot-com companies pulled their advertising. They saw a crisis, right? And they were trying to weather the storm, but there was a company called classmates.com that did the exact opposite and they doubled down and they said, well, because everyone pulled their advertising, internet advertising just got crazy cheap. And so they went up and bought hordes of internet advertising. And not only was it cheap, but there was a huge abundance of it. And they, they really launched their company and became mainstream and achieved huge valuation because they saw opportunity in crisis. So love your point. Yeah, I completely agree. And even in this last year, you know, we saw some companies just really, like you said, shrink and pull back. And now that things are looking good again, they're struggling to gain, regain momentum and pick up where things left off. Um, So, you know, there is something to be said to that for sure. All right. So one of the topics that you like to speak about is the role that women play in the creation and consumption of technology. I know you've spoken about that a little bit already in this interview. Um, Would you like to expand on that? Sure. You know, I, I think it's so interesting to see how um, differently women um, consume uh, products throughout the world and um, how much we uh, drive a lot of this consumption. So, for example, I mean, you saw cars start to become a lot more user friendly when people realized, like, wait a minute, half the people buying cars are women. Let's make cars that they want to drive. Right. And all of a sudden we, we came out with much more interesting vehicles. Uh, that are now bestsellers uh, in, out in the market. You know, it's the same with, like I mentioned, with mobile computing. I mean, the reason mobile became so prevalent was because 
women like to carry phones. We don't like to carry PCs. Um, and so we weren't going to put up with even smaller computers. We're like, no, I want something that fits in, you know, a purse, right? Something this size. Um, and then just in terms of, you know, products for our families, you know, we think about, you know, the, the contents of what we're bringing into our household. We're thinking about the waste that we generate. We're thinking about the value to the community that something may or may not contribute. Um, when it comes to a healthcare provider in our communities, you know, are these good providers that are good citizens or are they creating, you know, adverse effects in our communities? And so I think we, we tend to approach the products that we consume with a little bit more of that holistic thinking. And, and we're kind of putting pressure on brands to pay more attention to, to uh, you know, the ingredients in the products, where they're tested, how they're used and how they're disposed of. Uh, we're, we're kind of more, I would say, life cycle mindful in that regard. If there's a young woman who's just starting her very first business, just out of college or just leaving her job to start her first business, is there any advice you'd give to her specifically? First time entrepreneur? Yes, um, I would say number one, don't be afraid of making mistakes or failing. You know, that's just part that goes with the territory and actually, um, there's a lot of socialization that uh, women or girls deal with, even from a very young age, that we have to unwind in our minds. Um, so first, you know, realize like your job isn't to make people comfortable. Your job isn't to uh, be the nice one in the room. Your job isn't the one uh, to, to your, your job isn't to be the amenable one. Your job is to know your truth, speak it. And then, you know, if, if you make mistakes along the way, fine, but like bring people along to help you um, because there's tons and tons of great mentors out there that will be happy to kind of point the way and help you to avoid some of those uh, roadblocks and pitfalls. Another topic you like to talk a lot about is the role of AI in our future. Um, how can AI be leveraged by, by entrepreneurs today? Yeah, there's so many ways, you know, I always think about it from a business generation standpoint, you know, the biggest entrepreneur needs to get their, their company off the ground is really sales. Like you can have a technology, but if you don't have sales uh, contracts or customers, you have no company. Um, and actually the, the inverse isn't true. You can actually have customers and not have a product, but you can't have a product and no customers and still have a company. So, <laughs> or at least much of a business. So, um, what I would say is, you know, think about how AI might be able to help you to multiply yourself. So I, that's why I love the business I'm in, which is the, you know, AI virtual agent uh, capabilities. It's like train this AI to answer all the questions your customers might have. Train this AI to answer the questions your employees might have. Uh, train the AI to help you find things faster um, so that you can be more available to do the high value work. Um, and so I like to think about using these technologies to scale uh, not to replace us because um, humans' ability to think is so rich and complex. I don't think machines will be able to replace it, but let the technology do what it's good at, which is kind of like the rudimentary type of stuff. Um, and then um, let the human mind take care of the really exciting and you know rich problem solving. So if an entrepreneur wanted mm -hmm. to learn more about AI, what's the best place they could go to take the next step? Is there a conference they should attend or a book they should read or a course they should take? 
Well, first of all, I mean, there's so many different disciplines in AI, but I would say, yes, there's conferences. Um, I actually have spoken at AI World. I would say that's a great one uh, to start. Uh, to start. Um, there's also the AI Consortium. Um, there are a lot of uh, organizations that are dedicated to trying to help create, uh, whether it's ethical thinking around AI or that are just trying to do some maybe, um, what I would say, open source projects around AI. I think that all of those are great places to start. Um, the big misconception about AI is people think you have to be like a really good computer programmer to do AI, and the truth is you don't. Um, there's plenty of great you know, scientists uh, working on the problems, but what they actually need more of are the humanists, the people who can actually take those applications and, and, and apply them to a human problem or to a real life situation and who can actually point out, like, no, actually nobody would do that. This is how we would do things, you know? So I would say it's like the artists, the poets, the writers, the creatives, those are very much needed in the development uh, of AI. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here are some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, women have played a large role in technological advancements, such as the shift from desktop to mobile. We need to be listening to them to keep up with these tectonic shifts. Number two, mistakes are a normal part of being an entrepreneur. Learn from them. Don't let them paralyze you going forward. Number three, Rebecca's advice to young female entrepreneurs is to know the truth and speak it. Number four, crises can provide us with great opportunities to look at things from a new perspective. Number five, if we're using AI, we should let the machines do the rudimentary tasks so we can focus on the creative side. Number six, we should listen to our instincts when we're making decisions. Number seven, with a team, we can achieve more than we ever could alone. If you want to learn more about Rebecca or connect with her, you can find her on LinkedIn or visit her website at botco.ai. And we have links to both of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. Do you want to be a better digital monetizer? Then please follow these channels to receive free digital monetization content. Number one, you can get a free passion marketing ebook and learn how to be a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. Number two, you can subscribe to the free monetization e-magazine at monetizationnation.com. Number three, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation YouTube channel. And number four, you can subscribe to the Monetization Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. And finally, number five, you can follow Monetization Nation on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks for joining me for this podcast. I wish you success in your entrepreneurial journey. And go Suns! Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.